Jordan Collins. He's uh, he's with us today to speak to uh, our ladies group. I he doesn't need a lot of introduction, but I'll I'll say it a couple words. You know, I Dorothy mentioned earlier that I I worked side by side with Colonel Collins uh, for about six years as his MC as his um, priest secretary. I remember asking the priest that I took over for, Father Dominic Barber. Um, you know, I said, my one fear is that I'm going to do something wrong and Archbishop Collins is going to, you know, yell at me or lose his pool or whatever, um, because that's the last thing you want is your bishop getting angry at you. It's one thing if you, you know, your pastor gets angry at you. It's like, oh, the old curmudgeon, you know, but uh, your bishop. Anyway, Father Dominic said, I don't think you could do anything that would set the Cardinal off or set the Archbishop off at all. So. The Archbishop was uh, ordained a priest when he was 26 years old. I like to remind him that uh, I wasn't even born back in 1973. (laughs) uh, He's been a priest for 47 years. He's been a bishop for 23 years. He's been a cardinal for 8.56 years. (laughs) CatholicHierarchy.org is very helpful in these things. And, uh, And I'll just say just one thing. There are no two versions of this man. The man you see is who he is. There's no second version of him that people don't get to see. He's genuine and open and we're very fortunate to have him. So I'll stop talking so that Cardinal Collins can talk. Oh, well, I, I, I would like to, just if I could, um, just to thank Cardinal Collins for uh, joining us today. Um, I also wanted to thank Cardinal Collins um, for supporting uh, the Catholic Moms um, Ministry. I know that uh, he has a real heart for Catholic mothers and he has a real heart for everyone uh, in the Archdiocese. And I just wanted to, to publicly say that I guess when the pandemic broke out and the churches shut down, like, I was overcome by all of the different responses, even at my own kitchen table and listening to the news and listening to my husband. And I began to go like a little bit crazy and I would tune in every day to Cardinal Collins. And it really grounded me, that mass grounded me because there were all these like voices and it felt to me like, Cardinal Collins was the only person that made any sense at the time. <laughs> you know, and so, um, it, you know, it, I, I wanted to thank you, Cardinal Collins, because it also sparked something in me, because I thought, he's here. He's shepherding to everyone in the archdiocese. And I'm like, I'm a leader. I've got to be doing something. Like, I can't just... I can't just cave because there's a pandemic. I need to minister. And so... It, 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 how you blessed the archdiocese by celebrating that mass every single day and you know publicly getting on your knees every single day and praying the rosary i know has affected thousands and thousands and thousands of lives so i i wanted to thank you for that um, because it, it it's just been such a gift um before you, I guess, share your talk, I'm kind of curious, and curious is the wrong word, but I was hoping that you could tell us um, a little bit about your mom and, you know, what, like, first of all, what was her name and how did she affect your faith journey and just some of the simple things. Yeah. So. Okay. I'm very, very glad to do that. Is is my voice coming through? Um, That's okay. Um, well, my mother, uh, was born in England. Uh, she is, uh, she was born in 1900, uh, and, uh, in Birmingham, England. Uh, and, uh, she came over to Canada around 1904. Um, and so, uh, the, um, she settled in Brantford, the family settled there in Brantford. Uh, and then she worked in different things. She worked uh, with actually the Canadian Mausoleum Company. Uh, and uh, so whenever I go to our Catholic cemeteries, I think, oh, here's a little bit of the, the, the story of my mom and dad. And she was an uh, office manager setting up an office in Guelph, Ontario to sell place to build the mausoleum and then sell slots in it, I guess. 
And she wanted to, as a good Catholic lady, she wanted to find a good place to stay. And so she checked with the pastor and they, um, uh, she settled, uh, they, she got a room at the uh, family, the O'Brien family, who are relatives of the Collins family. And so um, the, uh, the Collinses came over and one Thomas Collins came over and he gradually uh, spent more and more time with my mother than with the other members of the family. <laughs> so, so um, he began to, uh, they, they, they got together. They, they uh, dated for uh, many years, a long time. And then they were married in 1938. So that was when they got married. And then uh, my, uh, my uh, father, uh, my mother and father, um, basically were, you know, they moved to Guelph. Uh, and uh, um, so they had my first, their first child was uh, my sister, Catherine, who was born in 1939. And then my sister, Patricia, uh, who, who died a few years ago, well, five years ago, was born in 1940. Um, and then my brother, George, was, uh, was born in 1942, but he died as an infant. Um, he had the um, spina bifida, which was a, um, you know, a, a, a difficult, terrible disease. So he only survived a short time. So I was uh, born in 1947. <laughs> and uh, that's, so my mother was, when I was born, my mother was 47 and my father was 52. So this is uh, not so, uh, so common a thing. I was sort of born late, late in life. So mother, my mother was very, um, it's extremely creative, uh, very, uh, just a very organized and uh, very clear in her thinking. And uh, they say, I don't know, I'm not one to testify to this, but uh, they say that I look, my face is a lot like hers, especially my eyes and my eyebrows. I don't know, but my sister tells me that. <laughs> and in fact, when I was a little baby, uh, there in the little, just little baby, somebody came and said some famously said to my mother, oh, the little one, he's the very image of you. So I guess if you look at this part here, that's sort of what she looked like. So she's, uh, she was really um, just amazing. A great sense of humor and very creative. Um, she um, um, raised our family and uh, you know, with, with my dad. My dad was ill for many, many years. Um, he, uh, he got, uh, um, he was uh, sick for a long time. And so she really um, had a quite a burden of uh, struggle to to help care for the family. My sister Kathy also uh, got a got a position as a as a teacher to help support the family. But I was just the the junior in the family, so I kind of sailed through all that without having to worry so much. And so Mom uh, was very very wonderful and. Um, she uh, had a job as a lawyer, a lawyer's secretary, uh, McAleer, Morris, and Matthews in, in Guelph. And uh, then, because I'm, 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 we're all from Guelph. Uh, and then um, in, uh, she died in 1978. Uh, she, uh, she had a lot of illnesses, uh, leukemia especially. And um, so um, she died uh, when I was over in Rome. Uh, she was already, it was for many years, she'd had this, this difficulty. And then I was able to get back uh, by the Friday. I remember I got back in June of 1978. I hurried up my exams at the Biblical Institute. Um, and I was able to go there, be with her for a few days with my sisters. Uh, and then I anointed her on the Sunday and she died on the following Wednesday. So, yeah, so a little bit about my mother. Yes. Can you tell us a little bit about how she affected your faith life and sort of the traditions at home? Well, I, I was really blessed. Uh, and I think I, I realize this is a true blessing that, and I, I often talk of this with my, with my sister, um, that uh, we, we were really had a wonderful family experience because my mom and dad, who were very, very different, uh, they really loved one another. And I would say that um, that kind of home, um, it's, it's hard to describe it. it. It was just that experience was a great source of strength for all of us. Uh, and certainly for, for me in my own life as a little child. Um, my dad was more um, 
he was more explicitly religious than my mother. Uh, my dad would be very much involved. He would, uh, in the life of the parish, mom was very faithful practicing Catholic, but, but dad was, was more into uh, more specific things. Like he would go up, and I remember going with him to the Eucharistic Adoration through the night, the Nocturnal Adoration Society, uh, things like that. Um, so he was, uh, he was, mom was very uh, sharp and clear and vibrant and kind of uh, that kind of a way, real dynamic. Dad was calm and it's like a solid rock, very devout, uh, very prayerful, um, and very, very calm. And, and a saint in the way he dealt with his sicknesses, he had Oh, he had skin, he's like Job, he had skin disease, he had stroke, he had tuberculosis, he had all these things. It was really hard. So mom, mom and dad together, it was, they were different. Um, mom was more, you might say, they were both very faithful Catholics. <laughs> mom was more sort of dynamic and uh, like she's a real, I mean, astonishing creativity in her mind. I mean, she's amazing. Really, and Dad was that kind of very solid, faithful guy. So the two of them, I would say just the two of them together, you know, helped me uh, in, in my faith. And when I decided to become a priest, uh, uh, Dad had already died. He died in 1972, uh, which makes me think something, because I'm 73, and I think, good grief. Dad always seemed kind of old to me, because he was. Mm -hmm. uh, my mom and dad both all seemed old to me because most of my friends in school, their parents were in their uh, 20s and no, their 30s and 40s, let's say, and my parents were in their 60s or 70s. So it, it was a different, my, all my, my, I've said a whole generation, all my aunts and uncles, I always think of aunts and uncles as being 70 year old, 80 year old, 90 year old. So it was a bit different. But just the two of them together, I'd say, and the mom was just a wonderful, loving. I'm just, I'm just blessed to have had that. No, and it's, it's, it's just so beautiful to hear about um, just the endurance of the crosses and in the the endurance of the marriage through the crosses. I think one of the challenges, you know, in our culture right now, with social media and Instagram, you know, is that a, a, a lot of moms and families kind of expect to have a cross-free life, you know? Why don't we just have this beautiful collage? <laughs> and it's just not reality, right? Like this beautiful collage isn't reality. And so sometimes when, you know, we have a husband who is sick or a child who's imperfect or, you know, the two different personalities in a marriage, you know, clash. Well, that's the part of the beautiful mosaic. So thank you for, for, for sharing that. Um, yeah. I, and if, could you tell us a little bit about um, just before you, you know, start the talk in terms of how COVID affected, um, you know, your, your role at the cathedral and just in your role as a shepherd, you know, and we're looking forward to hearing your talk, but just a little bit informally. Oh, well, it, uh, it obviously affects us all in many of the same ways. Uh, we've, uh, and of course it's become less stringent, but we have to, one thing we're getting a lot of warnings, not only from the premier, but we're really concerned. We want to be sure that we don't all, now that we've gone beyond uh, whatever phase one, one or two or something, and we're, it looks like it's getting better and we're opening things up. Um, it's important to look back to that time. We, nobody liked the time when everything was locked up tighter than a drum, you know, that kind of a thing. And we want to get out of that. We want to be sure we don't go back there. And so I know the premier has been saying a lot about let's, let's not get, now's not the time to get, uh, you know, get lax or we're going to end up in where we were before. And I found that the same, like we, it was an awful, well, we've all had a similar experience. Um, we were just, uh, I, I know for personally, I mean, we all much the same. I didn't, I've, you know, mind you, I had a pretty big house to live in. It's like an apartment building. It's it's the oldest house in Toronto that's still being used. It's a big, the big rectory. I live there with with uh, nine other priests. So we have a little community there. We all have our little apartments in the on uh, the different floors of the of the building, the three floors there. So 
it's and it's got a little courtyard behind and i would walk up and down there uh at the evening trying to get some exercise praying the rosary and do a back and forth but i didn't leave the property for you know like none of us did really i guess we were all kind of caught up at home that was obviously well you know it had its challenges for everyone and i found it a bit much uh, but it's what everyone was going through it really was difficult for everyone when we had to shut the churches down out of of a concern you know for the uh, uh you know the the danger that was more imminent at that time well it still is there and i remember i would often do my do my praying in the, like walking up and down the empty church and thinking good grief this is you know it's very beautiful to be in the cathedral alone but that's not what it's meant for so I, I found that personally, one of the happiest moments I had was when we were able to, I think because of very careful work done by a lot of people, and a lot of prayer and a lot of work, we were able to get the churches open, finally, um, to be able to walk out the door during that opening of that first mass we had and open the gates to the cathedral. That was so beautiful. Uh, because I thought, I knew we were going to get there. We were, you know, we were, we were getting there and we, we were being very careful. Uh, and if we are careful, we, you know, this is, we have to care for other people. So it was, but it was, you know, we all faced that same thing. It's just, you become a little frustrated at not being able to move around. Yes. And um, I, I know that in our own ministry, there's been, um, you know, our, our mother's group leaders that are, are, are here today are sort of, yeah, I describe this as being a bit of a fireside chat with uh, with Cardinal Collins and Father Curtis and Dr. Lombardi about, you know, leadership. And we've experienced like this spectrum of responses from our own mother's group leaders. Like, and I would imagine that, you know, as a shepherd of, I don't know, is it 225 parishes? About 2 million people, 225 Parishes. Parishes, yeah, yeah. So uh, I'm sure you too have seen different responses from, you know, different priests and parishes. And, um, you know, like some of our mother's group leaders have embraced it gangbusters and they're going to continue ministering and we're hosting virtual yeah. meetings and they're fired up and excited by the technology. And then you've got the other mother's group leader that says, no, I'm waiting until this is over. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, what yeah. is that over, girlfriend? You know, um, I'd be curious to sort of hear a little bit about, um, you know, you observing the different responses yeah. as a leader as well. Well, we we do get different responses. I, I'm very happy, and we've had different meetings like uh, this webinar type things with the with the priests, with the uh, people working in the parishes, the, the staff, the pastoral assistants, so on. And I've been really impressed by the, uh, you know, the creativity. This is a time, this is not a time to slow down. This is a time to double up, you know, speed up. Because uh, we're, this is an unexpected crisis. Like, who would have known at the beginning of March we're going to face this thing? Uh, so it suddenly just whomp, it kind of hits us. And I think there's been a great deal of anger. It's understandable anger. There's also been a great deal of misunderstanding and that's part of my work. And I don't, I think I may not be doing, I've just seen this lately. I don't, don't know that I do a good enough job on that. I get a stack uh, like this of, of letters and emails, not every, pretty well every day, you know, away for a while. It's a, and I, I, sometimes I don't reply to them. And well, I don't reply to a lot of them because I just, first of all, I don't know what to say sometimes. <laughs> and I figure, I just, I don't know. I should have, I got to get a system together. So I'm sorry anyone wrote to me and I haven't gotten back to you. Sometimes I can get back to them because I can think of what to say. But, um, that, but to sit down and, and try to figure it out for a couple of hours for each letter would be really what would require. I just can't do it. I, <laughs> it won't little me, you know. So I probably have to get maybe us, get other people doing it. Um, but just, uh, and you don't want to say, you know, well, I guess I should maybe say, got your letter. Thank you very much. Goodbye. You know, somebody <laughs> spent hours, you know, I've spent five, I guess actually I got a reply once. I wrote something like, thank you very much. I really appreciate your concerns. I actually read, I read them all. By the way, I do read everything that I can get through. And, uh, and then um, they say, I'm sure it's being filtered out and you're being something. No, I, I read everything. I'm thankful for it. And I, I remember writing back, thank you very much. And then I get a fiery response. I spent 
10 hours or something writing that letter, you know, 10 page long letter or something, and all you give me is thank you for the letter. Um, have you no more concern? Yes, don't dive under the desk in a fetal position and say, Oh my god, what am I gonna do? I wish I'm sorry. I can't <laughs> anyway, I've gotta do something. I've gotta just have an automatic letter. So, like I wrote a maybe this is the way to do it. I know I wrote a letter of condolence to to Pope Benedict on the death of his brother. I wrote a little note to him and I you know, he's nineties three or four or so, and I wrote it in English, so I don't know German. But I must say, I've got to learn this. I got back a form letter from him, from, I guess, his, one of his assistants in English. So they guess they separate the letters over there. And it just basically said, I'm sorry, I can't reply to all the letters. I received a couple of thousand letters, and I'm, I'm not a good condition, but I really appreciate your letter. Thank you so much. And it was, it was kind of a printed thing, but I thought oh, maybe I should do more of that. But I do think one of the troubles we do have is we have a lot of, one thing I find difficult is, well, it's life, is there's a lot of anger. And I think the anger, I think this is affecting a lot of things, even these riots in the States and a lot of these things. Uh, there's the disproportionate, like, wow, you know, this, I think the COVID thing with everyone locked up tighter than a drum, I think it has an effect, and it has certainly an effect on domestic violence. Mm -hmm. It is, and I, guess it, I think it has an effect in this people venting. You know, with anger, they always say it goes in one place and comes out the other. You know, someone has a bad day at the office, and then they yell at someone back at home, and it it, it may not seem to be connected, but there's something happens there. So I think a lot of the anger and frustration. It comes from being cooped up and facing this constant threat of danger, really, leads to people, uh, well, look at Twitter. Oh, my gosh. I do sometimes look at the anger, the viciousness, and there's people yelling at one another. And so I can only expect it uh, in, the, in the church. Uh, you know, it's part of our life. Yeah. So I find that difficult. And especially people, it would say, uh, why are you... Uh, why do you keep the churches closed? Let the, have the government say that the church is not essential. And how, you know, why don't you fight them and give them a punch? You know, stand <laughs> up for Jesus and all that. Well, I sympathize with, with it. But actually, the government's been very good to us. It, it's, they're not, there's no, we have never had pushback from them at all. They, they even assigned a, a minister to care for religious, you know, religious groups. They're dealing with economy and stuff. They don't really deal with the religion in that way. They deal with it in other ways, but they do deal with it. Mm -hmm. So I must say that I have a no, we've not, we don't have some big bad government saying we want to crush religion or anything. I can see how people might think that though, if the churches are closed, you know, mm -hmm. but actually what we were doing is we were behind the scenes working like mad, getting a really high powered doctor and putting a huge amount of effort into producing this thing called worship safe, where we just try to be sure that we get it right and we follow all the best things. We hand that into the government, we hand it into the health authorities, and uh, they put out general norms for you can't do this and you can't do that. But I think when they took one look at what we were doing, even the videos of how we distribute communion and all that, they said, you know, they basically say, well, they know what they're doing. Yes. And that has helped us a lot. So really, the problem is not we're being persecuted. We are being persecuted in other ways, but that's another topic. Yeah, it's no, not like, sometimes I say that we're, you know, what breaks my heart is watching Catholics persecute the other Catholic and there's all this anger. Oh, my gosh. Oh, um, so, it's really quite horrendous, yeah. No, it is. And but not, we're not being persecuted by the provincial government. No, no. So I, I wanted to just on the behalf of um, just all of the all of us who are you know here today and just to, to thank you for for all of your hard work. Um, and so we we look forward to I guess hearing your reflection on leading during a pandemic. Okay, so now I give my talk. Okay. <laughs> Here it is. I, I usually, I, here, I always have a few little pieces of paper here. Now I'll make them into an airplane I'll across the room, and then I'll say, "Oh my gosh, I don't. What am I going to do?" Well, I, I tell you, here, here we are. I've got a couple of like, a few points here, and I hope that well, I'll go for for uh, for a while, and then 
I think you would say about till around 11 or so. Yeah, um, and, I, and I do have a couple of other little questions, but I'll save them till after your talk because you might answer them during the talk, right? Oh, yeah, but I'll, what I'll do, I'll, I'll end off maybe 10 to 11 or so. And sure, if you perfect. figure that uh, there are any other things you want to talk about, that would be. I just want to say to you. Oh, I just want to no, no, I'd be glad to do that. <laughs> um, so what I what I thought would be good to do start with the bad and go to the good. You know, probably have the dessert at the end. You know, and get through get through the grim stuff first. Uh, but I've actually already talked a bit about that, uh, so maybe I don't have to spend much time on it. But um, this is obviously for a lot of people. First of all, the people who have caught the disease. You know, especially. Uh, older people, but now they say it's younger people, you know, because the younger ones maybe feel, sometimes young people feel they're invulnerable and they're all partying together and they all get COVID or something. So, but it's it's been a terrible thing. You know, you think of, think of particularly, you think of the people in the homes where, you know, a large, uh, a large number of, uh, of people have been, who died, you know, and, have, um, and that's obviously something that's being dealt with now, but we really, this is a major, major thing. Uh, so the heart of it all, this is a tragedy. This is a plague. And, um, you know, it's funny. I, I've, I've always wanted to read the, um, the book, the great Italian masterpiece of prose, uh, The Betrothed by Manzoni. And so finally I got around to reading it. I, well, I've got with the time you have with this lockdown, you had a bit more time to read. So I read it and it talks about what happened in Milan around the 1630s when you had a plague in the city. And as much, it sounded awfully familiar. Uh, people distancing from one another, uh, you know, that the churches uh, kind of shut down. We do know that St. Charles Borromeo uh, had to close the churches uh, because of the plague. They knew that it was, it went from person to person. I mean, they didn't have modern testing and science, but they knew that. In fact, my mother, uh, if you want a little mother anecdote, she, uh, since she was born in 1900, she was 18 in 1918 when the, when the Spanish flu came through, which was a huge thing, killed millions of people. And she would talk about in St. Mary's Church in Brantford, how the parishioners would gather outside the church. They shut the church. As I know what it's like, they shut the church. And the priest would be saying mass inside the church. Um, but the people would be outside the church. This sounds all very familiar to us now. This was in 1918, uh, because they knew you couldn't go in the church uh, because uh, of, I guess we would call it social distancing and so on. So this has been a, this, this thing itself, the effect has been terrible, especially the people who have caught the disease and who have, or their relatives. A horrible thing we see in Northern Italy, uh, particularly where, and, and in our own situation, at funerals, when someone would be, or someone who's dying, and then you have the funeral, and the family has a great difficulty in, you can't have a large number of people present, and so on. So that's a horrible thing. And so that's what we're dealing with. And I think in terms of leadership, we have to deal with the suffering, reach out in every way we can to people who are facing these, these horrible realities. Also, many, many people who have lost their jobs. I think especially like around Toronto, the whole airline industry and everything uh, uh, connected to, to it. Um, you know, so many people, not just, you know, pilots, people on the planes, but people servicing the planes and all that. That's a huge thing. And, and many restaurants and things like that. That in turn, I think has caused a great stress in families very often. So I think our first concern in terms of the, this, the dark side of this, uh, this very real plague we're facing is that. Um, and so what we're trying to do is uh, respond. Um, the cutting off in the terms of spiritual life, the shutting of the churches was the most horrible thing. And I did it slowly. I did first no Sunday mass, then the week, then we had to shut the church because people were saying, go stay back home. We didn't want people going and, you know, being damaged. And our Lord said, love your neighbor. So we have to think of it. That's where the um, live streaming began. Uh, it's not the same as mass, uh, but we've been doing something like it with the daily mass up at Loretto Abbey and hundreds of thousands of people have been watching that. That's done, I mean, what a week or two or three before, um, or about a week before. And so what with the live streaming, it is done 
right at the same time. Uh, but it was an effort to reach out to do what we can. And we're still doing it because there's still people who for various reasons are not able to come to Mass now that we've been able to open the churches. So that was a very um, a difficult fact in terms of our spiritual life. To be, if, if you don't have a sacramental faith, I suppose just reading the Bible or, or having a live stream talk on the Bible is pretty well as good as being in a church. But to receive the Blessed Sacrament, to be able to get to confession, it's important for us uh, to do that. Uh, and so that was a difficult thing. And then dealing, I mentioned already, with the anger that comes from people being cooped up and angry and uh, dealing with uh, um, the frustrations of it all. That continues. Uh, we're, we're hoping that right now we're trying to send out a message to the parishes this is no time to slack off because we're getting through a difficult period with the opening of the schools. We, if we, in this month-long pause the premiers put in place, if we all start flipping backwards, we don't want that. This is no time to be sort of getting loosey-goosey with our protections. It's got to be, you know, the mask, the sanitizing, the distance, the whole bit. We pray for the day when we don't have it, but if we don't, do it, we're going to be in it longer than we, we shouldn't be in it at all, but we're going to be in it longer. One thing I found very difficult, and I think a lot of people have uh, in this time, is the uh, removal uh, of me telling the people we are not distributing communion on the tongue. Um, that is a, a source of immense pain to many, many, many people. And it's not just a sort of a trivial thing. It's a very deep thing. Um, and it is a thing within the, the faith of the church, within the law of the church, that person has the option of receiving on the hand or on the tongue. Um, that's very difficult. The, the problem is that just several months ago, I used to think, well, you know, you don't, I used to joke, you don't open doors with your tongue, you know, with your hands more dirty than the tongue. Well, no, actually, uh, I, I got a, some advice from very, very devout, faithful Catholic doctors who I think all would prefer to receive communion on the tongue. And I got it in, independently as well. There was a, a study done about testing for COVID. Nothing to do with religion, testing for COVID. And because the sticking a thing down your nose is not very comfortable and everything, is there a better way? But they tested different parts of the body, like the head, where... COVID is found. Is Where is it found? Where? How could you? And they've discovered, the good news is, uh, they discovered a simpler way than sticking something down your nose. And I think they're eventually going to, you just saliva. It's very simple because the mouth is abundant in COVID uh, if you have it. And so uh, that's a simple way to find it. Just take the test, you do some kind of test with that. Now, the bad news is, aye, 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 that does tell us why the medical people, not the government, but the medical people are saying, look, Sticking the hand in the mouth is not, is not um, what can I say? It's not a good thing because you're, you're conveying this to others. So what can I do? One thing some people do, every morning when I distribute communion in, uh, in the cathedral, there's a lady who comes up with a little silver plate, um, like a little patent. And so I don't want people running out and buying silver plates or anything, but, uh, but I, she comes up and I just say the body of Christ and I put it on the plate and she steps aside and I guess receives it like that. I mean, the point is not, I guess you say the point is not to receive it in the hand. The point is we can't at the moment have the option. It's just like people say, but it's our right. Well, yeah, we have a right to go hundred kilometers an hour down the 401. We all have that right. It's in the law, but not in a snowstorm. Not in a snowstorm. So everyone, it's a snowstorm, you know. So I hate to do it. I'd love to. We want to get back to this. I personally, I'm, I, I mean, I just held on and I, I made sure I stuck into the rules we got. As soon as possible, we go back to the, the way, which is a very, very good way to go. Anyway, that, but dealing with anger. And the thing is, I agree with the people who are angry, but I just, they just don't understand. I know you have a right to this, but really I can't. It would be irresponsible for me to to put people at risk in that way. And when you can receive our blessed Lord in another way. So I'm there we are. Anyway, that's the other financial challenge, which is I mean that's just negative stuff. You just I only do a short time of the negative, get more to the positive. 
uh, is um, the, the other difficulty is the financial difficulty for families um, who are struggling, you know, because they've lost their job, you know, things like that, and so on. But also our own community. Like we, I would have never imagined in a million years, I never even thought there would come a time when we don't have collections every Sunday. We, we pay our employees, I get the diocese. We pay our employees, we, uh, we build things, we you know, turn on the electricity, we heat the buildings and all that. Uh, we do everything with the money we receive by free will donations from the people. I tell you, that's a heck of a lot better than the German system where you get a check from the government. And I'm afraid, I won't go to a rant about the, the, the German system, but, but we, it's the free will of the people. Well, we're suddenly, you just suddenly click like everyone, people at home who've just lost it. We just suddenly, the, the funding is, uh, um, you know, it's, it's gone. So what we've, but I've been, we've been really impressed. I mean, there's a lot of people are, are helping out, even if they may themselves be facing real financial difficulty, but especially share life. Uh, like we've, we're dipping into the reserves and Catholic Charities is doing the same, but we're hoping and I, we're finding a lot of people in the midst of their own, perhaps their own financial suffering are reaching out to help because now's the time we have more people who need to be helped by share life more than ever before. And, and so we're very grateful that people and for the parishes, people have been very, very generous despite their own suffering. And that helps us to move, to keep proceeding. Um, for which I think we should all be very grateful. It's a sign of the strength of the faith and the sacrifice of the people. Uh, some other things, just more maybe on you know, the more positive side or the things we can maybe in leadership, being the bishop during this period of time. Um, uh, you know, I thought one of the first things I thought it's important for my own ministry is to be present. Uh, my hero, I got three heroes, uh, bishop heroes. One of them is John Fisher. So I had his face carved on the, on the, on the cathedral. Um, I, and he was the only bishop who stood up to the government when the government was persecuting the, the church. Uh, the other one I have is for Francis de Sales, who was very much involved in communicating, reaching out, using what was possible around the time of Shakespeare. And I think that's what we're doing in this epidemic. We're doing uh, like reaching out in different ways. To, to, but the other one is Charles Borromeo. And Charles Borromeo, uh, who was, it's funny, he, he was a very, very great saint. He was a bishop of Milan in the mid 1500s. He became a cardinal at the age of 22 because his uncle was the Pope. So it was a totally, it was nepotism. It was a total corrupt system. Now, mind you, he also earned a couple of doctors by the time he was 20. So he was competent in a lot of ways. He was a great saint, a great saint. And when he finally got the Pope to let him to go to his diocese of Milan to, to serve the people there, there was a plague. And ever a lot of people left the city and the bishop stayed in the cathedral. He stayed there. So I thought, that's what to do. I think people, it encourages people to see the bishop um, there. Just get, and same with the priests, you know, we, we just to be there with the people we serve and all of us to try to do what we can. So that's why, well, that's one of the reasons for the daily mass as well. And we kept that. And now I must say, I'm very grateful for the young priests of the cathedral. Our, uh, they've, uh, uh, for one, I did about, I celebrated mass a few months, just one, well, that was straight one every day, which is fine. I do it any day anyway, and I'm glad to do it. But but uh, they they now uh, they've um, the, the the young lads have given me a day off, so I get away, so I get a bit of a distance and visit my sister and things like that. Um, so I think the presence is important in any kind of leadership, especially in times of trouble. Uh, prayer, my gosh, this has been a time for us to think about prayer. Uh, I'm doing for the lecture divina this coming year, starting tomorrow. Uh, I'm doing on the Psalms. Boy, they really tell us about suffering. Gosh, and they talk, they really, the, the Psalms are so real, so concrete with every suffering and emotion and joy and everything there. So um, 
prayer. It's the time that really leads us to the deeper prayer. And I think whatever our role is, we need to pray for the people we serve. And we all serve our families. We serve mothers and fathers. We uh, teachers praying for their students, bishops. We every day have pastors. Every Sunday we say a mass for the people. So this praying for the people we serve is uh, is very important part of the rule the the role in this time. Also, I think there have been some good things uh, to look forward not in the midst of all this bad that I've been talking about. You know the old saying: "When life gives you lemon, make lemonade." Um, so I don't think that's in that Gospel of Matthew or anything. It's probably somewhere else. But um, uh, but they're unanticipated opportunities through this crisis. And one of the things is we've all faced a sudden elimination of our activities and of distractions as well. Um, that's not been good in the sense of people, you know, losing their jobs, things like that. But I mean, in a lot of other ways, we've all faced that. Like I would be going out to banquets and things and stuff like that. I'd be flying to Rome here and there. And I often wonder, now I'm really thinking, um, like, I don't know what you think about it, but like every year we have a week of the bishops meeting together in Cornwall at the Nav Canada Center. It's nice, you know, to get together. But we're doing it by video. Uh, five days, two hours each. That's it. And I must say, there's something to be said for that. <laughs> to be said for it. So you mean we can actually put the work into five two-hour segments? <laughs> you know. <laughs> and I think of all this stuff. I, I'm not on the Vatican Bank anymore, but I used to be in the Vatican Bank Commission. I'd be flying over there, and you have about a you know a day's meetings, and then you have. So it's a, it's a week at least, you know. I used to think of that when I was the Archbishop of Edmonton. We have a a day and a, a day and a half, we have two half days over an afternoon and morning on the permanent council of the bishops in Ottawa. So I would have to have a day to fly there from Edmonton, another day to be there, another day to have, and then another day to get back. You know, so there's been something maybe that's not that bad. I don't mind these. Uh, um, I must say, I don't mind so much having five two-hour sessions instead of a whole week. I mean, sorry, I miss the guys, like to have a coffee with them. <laughs> you know, a little bit of the warmth, a little fellowship, you know, I could wave, you know. But I kind of like it, actually. And I, we, we have these things, so I think there's something to be said for that. So, uh, you know, that's, and, but also, I've been reading more, I've been thinking more, I've been planning more, I'm realizing, well, I'm 73 and a half now, so good grief, I'm kind of, <laughs> I, I feel like I'm, you know, kind of aging along, it's not, I'm not, I'm not, I've been a priest 47 years, oh, good Lord, 23, a bishop, who knew? So, <laughs> I think, oh, but I kind of rev it up. I, my plan is, um, I'm thinking of it sort of like they say when you land on the carrier, you're coming in for a landing, you rev up the engine so that if you if you keep on going, you don't fall into the water. So I could really you could take off if you need. So I'm kind of planning it that way. But it's great. I can I can read more. I can think more. And I'm probably making better decisions. Um, I look back, you know, as you get, get on in years, you think of the stupid decisions you've made. You think, oh, Lord, what was I thinking, you know? And I think often what it has been is not that the details were misunderstood, it's that you didn't frame the question properly. And that comes from not enough sleep. It comes from being too busy. That The idea is not to be more busy. The idea is to do more useful, sensible things. So if we're just constantly busy, going here, going there, going everywhere. Now, I, I kind of do that anyway. I've been bouncing around the, the diocese for 13 years now, and I like doing it. I enjoy it, you know. But this, I'm discovering, uh, gosh, I, I'm reading things. I'm thinking. I'm going back into Dante again. I got, you see a picture of Dante behind me, this little statue on the thing. I got all my Dante books. Um, and uh, I've been, uh, you know, so it's a lot of good. The, having... Eliminating distractions can help us get our heads screwed on the right way um, and be more fruitful, actually. Not so much expensive travel and meetings and stuff. 
Necessity is the mother of invention. And this is a good talk about mothers. Necessity is the mother of invention. Um, when we are up against it and suddenly everything falls apart, we got to think of what we do, like doing this kind of stuff. This is amazing. Um, it's, you lose the personal contact. But I'm thinking, like, I always phone my sister uh, every, every night pretty well if I can. I used to phone her. Now I, I Skype with her. So gosh, it's not quite the same, but it's pretty good. You know, you think, I get to look at the cats, Patrick and Mickey. Um, Mickey <laughs> is a real adventurous little kitty and Patrick is calm. Patrick is a beautiful cat with a furry tail. He just calm. <laughs> Mickey's feisty little thing. So I get to see Patrick and Mickey twirling around on the floor. I mean, that's very nice. You don't get that on the phone. So, I mean, I think that's, uh, I used, to, I used to remember when I was a deacon uh, a couple of years ago, I was staying at uh, St. Eugene's Parish in Hamilton. And I noticed uh, you'd have this, this beside the beds, all the beds, there were these little phones with little, little buttons that would light up if you, a line was being used. Every evening I saw one light up and it was Bishop Redding calling his sister. And I thought, well, that's a good idea. I'm a baby brother, so I, I keep my need to get in touch. So, but we've, we've done things that actually are, I mean, I wouldn't mind if some of them kind of continued. Creative use of technology. Even this live streaming thing, you know, um, I, we started it at the cathedral. Uh, well, we had a 7 o'clock and 8 o'clock mass, which is really good. I'm sorry we don't have both now, especially the 7, because it helps the people to get to work if they want to get earlier. But we couldn't have two masses because you have to clean after each show. We have it 7.30. So there we are. But, you know, uh, I, it's not the same as mass. Um, you can think you don't receive, well, it is, it's not, we're not meant to be pixels, you know, we're, we're meant to have this, but there's something you can gain, something can be gained for. That's the same justification for the daily mass from the Abbey. Um, and it seems to be helpful to people. I'm getting emails and letters from people all over the world I'm amazed. Uh, these people, people are writing in from the United States, from Pakistan, from India, from South America, um, all over the place. And you look at the little thing where it tells you, we've got about normally, by the end of the day, five to six, now it's up to around 6,000 computers clicked into the mass of the cathedral. And that would mean sometimes you're two or three people at a computer. So who knows, maybe five, six, 10,000 people are in some way finding some spiritual benefit from that. And although it's not the same as mass, it is the same as the rosary. Because, um, and the lecture divina is there's no, you don't lose anything by getting this on TV as distinct from being there. Well, in a sense you see the church, but, but that is not like a sacrament. And the rosary is not a sacrament. The rosary is a prayer, like a regular prayer. So people sitting at home watching the, the, the computer screen and praying the rosary along, even if it's done 10 hours after it actually happened, that's a prayer. That's as much a prayer as if it were something else. But what we do is we have the prayer of St. Alphonsus Liguori for spiritual communion. And so we do that when I'm holding the host before receiving communion. We do that, and I hope that's of some help to people. So that's actually kind of a, something that's been a value that we didn't know about before. I also think, um, I used to mention this more in the homilies earlier on in, the, in this pandemic, but the fact of the presence of death is, is, uh, is sobering. And when we see so many people, uh, it's just the, uh, when anyone realizes that, you know, we, we tend to forget, but we, we think we can go on and on. And um, that's not true. Life is short. So whenever we have something like a, like a pandemic, it, it kind of reminds us of that. And that's, that's good spiritually. That we don't think, our, you know, we can you know, just drift along. It, it sharpens our awareness a bit. So I think in leadership in terms of the midst of a pandemic, it is leadership in the face of the brevity of life. And 
there's a psalm that says, Lord, teach me the shortness of life that I may gain wisdom of heart. And I think in the midst of this pandemic, we may gain more wisdom of heart that will be of benefit to us later on. Uh, if we have a kind of an enforced solitude, it can lead to anger and frustration and very terrible things. It could also lead to, uh, to a deeper life. This constantly being on the go, like I think uh, constantly in my own life flying here and there to meetings and stuff, although I've got an invitation to a meeting in Rome at the end of February. Um, so I said, okay, I'll, I'll be there, but I'll see whether, oh, I'll make a decision in January what we're, I mean, my love for for some of the pasta on Borgo Pio is not strong enough. <laughs> I tell you, when I was younger, I thought going on a plane was a great, exciting thing, but I tell you, the years go by, it's not. So I've been kind of rejoicing that maybe I won't have to, Wanted to go to Rome? No. <laughs> Rome, nice city. Be it ever so humble. There's no place like Rome. I know. But, but I, I just like at home. I want to stay home. I like ET. I want to go home. Um, so, you know. Anyway, but I think being aware of the solitude and being more at home, it, it can lead us to a deeper life. And I think. That's leadership in time of pandemic means dealing with a crisis, t turning the lemon into lemonade, helping us all do that. And that's, uh, that's, uh, that's something. The other thing is, I, I mentioned one of the homilies, I think, a few days ago. I'm, it occurs to me that this whole mask thing, you know, I know masks don't protect us. The very fascinating thought. Masks, apparently, as the shield somehow do, but not the mask. The mask protects other people, not us. So if everyone is wearing the mask when it's appropriate in the place, unless you have a health condition, as you should. But basically, when basically everyone's wearing the mask, if we all help one another, we are all helped ourselves. And that's a very important thing because one of the horrible things in our society is this sense of I, ego, autonomous ego. It's in terms of euthanasia, it's in terms of abortion, it's in terms of everything in between. That I want it, it is mine. And uh, and so get out of my way. And you see it in a lot of this uh, stuff, the hammering down people, uh, yelling at them, throwing names at people, phobic, this and that and everything. And you know, you have some, you have a classroom of people. I've heard teachers talking, I mean, professors, people like that. You have a classroom of people. You say, I don't know, the moon is round and somebody out there is offended, you know? And so it's the I, you know? And once a person says, I, then, you know, this, this is madness, madness. This, there are a whole bunch of subjective little egos out there. And once one of them is triggered, you have to have trigger warnings. I mean, this is madness. And we can't live this way. So the idea that we're trying, at least in this, a lot of this thing, we're being trained to be helpful to other people. Mm -hmm. um, wear the mask so you help, not you don't help yourself, you help others and then you get helped in, in, indirectly. Um, you know, stay back so that you won't get hurt, but others won't either. So this very unusual dimension of these irritating procedures we have to go through now, um, it's something very beautiful and we need it in other ways. I hope that once we get rid of all these masks and six foot distancing and stuff, and I hope as soon as we can, that we can get to see our faces again. It affects our ability to relate. We just see masks. This is nuts. You know, we can't, we can't, we can't relate to one another. You wave. It's like we have to use emojis to talk to one another because you can't see the face. But once we get rid of it all, I hope that, the idea of a discipline of self in order to help another person and help the common good will remain. That maybe I think in terms of leadership in the plague is maybe the, the greatest hope that the generosity that was stimulated by this and the concern for the common good in the midst of a crisis 
will remain, at least I hope for quite some time. Hope we've learned that. If we can learn that, and maybe my role as a spiritual leader is to help help people do that. If I can't, I've got to learn it myself first. But um, you know, uh, but I hope it will be helpful to people. Anyway, uh, my favorite psalm by the waters of Babylon, because I Babylon, 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 and I think I've I can now <laughs> my talk. And I don't, I used to know how to do this. I'm I'm not I've I've since the days of my boyhood, which were quite uh, quite some time ago. Sadly, um, I, it's getting uh, my talk, um, and so um, I think I can say, having ended my talk, that there it goes. Done. <laughs> Thank you, uh, uh, you know, so much for uh, taking the time. There are a couple of comments here in the uh, chat box, which I thought you might uh, get a kick out of. Uh, someone says, we are blessed to have the live stream mass, even more blessed to have Cardinal Collins leading us and praying for us. Thank you for explaining everything to us today with your wonderful sense of humor um, our mother's group leader from St. Benedict says, thank you, Cardinal Collins, for clarifying receiving communion on the hand. My concern about the whole situation is that it's divided Catholics. You know, yeah, a lot of yeah. yeah, I just don't understand. Um, so there's just a, a, another mom here. She's our mother's group leader at St. Anne's. She says, the 7.30 a.m. mass actually helped me not to be lazy. Once the lockdown started, routines were broken, and being able to attend that Mass and pray the Rosary daily helped me and the kids a lot. Um, so so happy. That's great. Yeah. And then someone's joking here, too, about the airplane. Boys will be boys. Making <laughs> <laughs> so... Uh, <laughs> It's, uh, it's just been wonderful having uh, this uh, time with you. Uh, Anna Cabral, my son just got a kick out of seeing Carl Thomas throw the paper airplane. Thank you for being so relatable to us all. Um, dear Cardinal, you are amazing. I'm so grateful oh to see you with Mass and the Rosary each, each day. It helped me. I told my daughter and their families and, and she's in Newfoundland, and I watched it from Bermuda. Oh, wow. So uh, what a delight our good shepherd is. So you've got a lot of moms that love you. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Oh, dear. <laughs> <laughs> There's a, a, a lot of love there. A, a dear friend of mine, too, she said that one thing that struck her about the masks is that it forced her now to look at people's eyes. Well, that's an idea, yeah. Right, and and that's a, that's a point, yeah. She said, and and she goes. So my my interaction, even with someone at Walmart, Walmart, like now I'm I've got to like yeah, look in their eyes. Look, look in their the eyes. And so that's very very um, interesting. Yeah. So you've taken us on quite a journey, you know, showing us that as leaders, whether of an archdiocese or a mother's group, sometimes we're the target of a lot of anger, a lot of yeah. that we ourselves sometimes as leaders don't know what to do. And that um, as leaders, we need to commit to uh, more prayer, to yeah. look for the silver lining. And I think too, what you said about just being present, like don't throw in the towel on your ministry. Yeah. Being there is very important. Yeah. You know, showing up for things, <laughs> just being there. Yeah. You know, we, we have to be physically present as best we can or present somehow, uh, you know, just that's really important for everyone, you know, and any, in all our relationships. Yeah, and I, I think sometimes there's a temptation um, for mother's group leaders, you know, it's sort of all or nothing. Like either I can have the mother's group meeting with the fresh baked goods and the tea and the hugs and the, the catechesis, or I'm doing nothing. And I'm like, no, 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 no. I know you don't like the technology. I know, but please continue to be there, you know, for yeah. 
in group similar to this, you know? Yeah, I think that's just, we often, what we say doesn't mean that much, you know, we, 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 we shouldn't convince ourselves we do, you know, but just being there, I think it's a, it's a helpful thing. What can we do in a, in a crisis? Well, we, our words can't explain it really. So it's better just to be there with, with one another and, and to pray together. I mean, the, that's the great thing about the rosary. We're all together praying and we repeat the prayers together. There's something beautiful about that. Yeah, and I liked what you said about the idea that, um, that you know, you get the same benefits out of praying the rosary online as you, um, as you, you know, do praying it at home. So we do encourage people to continue with the mother's groups and praying the rosary. And we, we do have a number of heroic mother's group leaders that are praying uh, online every single week yeah. with the mom. So we appreciate that. Um, so any kind of final words for just mothers in general, because we do live in a crazy culture mm -hmm. where, you know, mothers are, I always say they're expected to be amazing cooks, to work full time, to be beautiful, mm -hmm. to have a Martha Stewart home. And, and like I'm like saying, sometimes we're forgetting to be Catholics and all of that, you know? Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. any thoughts for mothers and mothering during this kind of remarkable time where we live in a hedonistic and materialistic yeah. pandemic, right? Um, well, we're, yeah, we really, this is a very difficult time. Um, that's one of the reasons I, I encourage the praying of the, uh, let's say, Michael prayer after the, you know, uh, and a lot of things that seem to be noble, uh, like caring for others and being, you know, attacked, have underneath them a seed of destruction, which is very dangerous. So we're in a very difficult time. And what can we do? I think we need to love and to love. And there's nothing more fundamental then than the relationship of in families. This is, um, you know, uh, it doesn't take a village. It takes a, a family of, you know, to, to live. And so mother's role is, 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 fundamental to, to life, you know, in, in every way. This, we, we, this is nothing more fundamental than that. So we really, I, I think, just to live, to give a good example. You know, the things we do and the things we say maybe are not as what exactly is needed at the moment, because none of us is perfect. We're all kind of blundering along. But it's who we are that matters in the long run, the people's experience over time. And they'll... Um, Ignore some of the mistakes we make or whatever, our weaknesses or inadequacies, if they realize that we love and care for them. And, and then being there with the people we love. And that's what prayer is too. It's being with the one we love. So it's not a lot of, you don't have like, somebody said, how do you pray? What's the way to do it? Well, our Lord was asked, how do you pray? He said, our Father who art in heaven. You know, there's not, it isn't, as our Lord said in one of the manuscripts of the Matthew's gospel, it isn't rocket science. No, no, it's, that's not in the gospel. But, um, you know, it's just, it's not all that complicated. It's just, it's difficult, not because it's complicated, but because our own wills are sometimes get in the way, you know. So I think just I pray and if you, if all of the mother's group and all on, who are part of this, just, uh, again, you know, keep me in your prayers. I got a lot of, you know, we all have things we're dealing with. And, and um, I just sometimes figure, what am I going to do? Uh, you know, we, or am I doing the right thing? It's just, you know, trying to understand things is very difficult. You know, well, we all see that, like trying to understand the family, um, trying to understand the diocese, trying to understand situations, especially difficult situations. You hope you do it right. You say, Lord, give me the wisdom to do the right thing and do that. But, uh, you know, and anyone who has responsibility, um, and that's mothers, fathers, that's bishops, it's pastors, it's people, government leaders. Uh, we need a lot of prayer because, uh, you know, uh, we, we need to pray that we will make the right decisions. And when we haven't made that we've made a blunder or something, we just pray the Lord to bring it to good. 
despite our own frailty, you know, God writes straight with crooked lines. So I just think we need to pray for one another. And that's a great source. I am, I'm very happy in being the bishop. I get up every mass in the diocese, I get prayed for. But I always, often end off a letter, keep me in your prayers as you are in mine. <laughs> so pray for me. And I'm just so grateful when I, people come and I, you know, I just yesterday I was on the street here, just a lady was walking along, we were chatting for a while. And, um, so I'm praying for, she gave me some things to pray for, and I gave her some things to pray for. I said, pray for my special intentions. And she said, okay, I'll pray for them. And the trouble is most of us, we can't actually say exactly what we want to pray for, but just the special intention covers everything. So anyway, so I just say to all of you, keep me in your prayers as you are in mine. And maybe I'll end off with a blessing for everyone in taking part in this. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord let his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May Almighty God give you his peace. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Oh, God bless. Bye-bye. Okay. Bye-bye. Thank you very much, Cardinal Collins. Um, one of our mother's group leaders here uh, says, thank you for such a wonderful talk, Cardinal Collins. You are so easy to listen to and provide so much depth and information always amazing. Another mom, we love you, Cardinal. You really oh, yeah. are a people's spiritual father. Um, so there's a lot of love here for you. Well, thank so. you. I really appreciate it. It just touches my heart. Thank you so much. Thank uh, you. And uh, we ask you to continue to pray for the ministry, continue to pray for the mother yeah. leaders. And it's Great. I'm so glad you're doing all this. This is wonderful, Dorothy. <laughs> Just keep up the good work and everyone taking part in it. Oh, I tell you, it's wonderful. Yeah, so thank you. Uh, thank you. And uh, please know that you are loved and you're not alone. And, uh, and now is the time to you know, just send you a big virtual hug. <laughs> okay, we'll go like that. Pour oh, on my computer. <laughs> and now I'm going to go and I'm going to have a muffin with my sister. Oh, okay. <laughs> That's wonderful. So thank you very much. Thank you. Bye-bye. Okay. Bye-bye.